Let's begin with a word of prayer and then I have a, a few things to tell you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you call your children to walk in the light of Christ. Free us from darkness and keep us in the radiance of your truth. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so first thing, don't turn the handout over. I, uh, I wanted to get up here sooner and stop you from turning it over, because if you look at the backside, you're going to ruin my surprise. But, or you're going you're to know the answers before we get there. So, but there's no, oh, there's the whiteboard. Okay, so now, um, there are no, let's see. Was there a sign-up sheet anywhere? There are the baskets. Okay, so first things first. People's Resource Center. Put a few bucks in the basket for the People's Resource Center. There are lots of folks in the congregation who, who volunteer and help out with People's Resource Center. It's a great resource. Okay, the next thing is, is there a sign-up sheet anywhere going around? No? Yeah, could we... I, I hate to do this, but... Uh, uh, can I ask you to write? Otherwise, I don't get credit for teaching Bible study. And I want that. Let's see. So I'm going to hand around, pass around, this is really uh, classy, I know. Okay, I'm going to ha- hand around this piece of paper on the back side if you just write down your name. You don't have to, but if you do, oh, that's better. But <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start here. Thank I apologize for that. We're without, we're without two of our vicars this morning. Um, and so, I'm having to remember what things vicars do. Um, <laughs> let's see. Got People's Resource Center. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> okay, so now the vicar's been teaching you about the Lord's Prayer. And yes, last week you got through the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. And I sat in just a little bit of it, maybe, but maybe just for the sake of review, can somebody... Just give a quick synopsis. One line, two lines. What, uh, what about hallowed be thy name? What was the point? Anybody? I know that ah, this is terrible, testing you. <laughs> yes? Yeah, right, right. And so, and this, is, this, I mean, this all relates to, so it's great to have a baptism on a Sunday morning at 8.30 because it's always, a, gives us something to talk about in Bible study. You saw the little baby Emily, Ella, May, uh, get Jesus' name put on her, which is, um, you know, one way that God hallows his name, keeps his name holy among us by applying his name to us, marking us as his children. He hallows his name among us by, by sanctifying us and glorifying himself through us. So, with that in mind, we move on to the next petition, Thy kingdom come. And again, in reference to the baptism this morning, we, had, uh, we, we see this talk about kingdom, about a kingdom all over the place, um, as I note here in Scripture and in the liturgy, um, especially in the baptismal liturgy. So take a look. I should have numbered these. We've got the, the, uh, the first square subpoint there from the baptismal liturgy. This is what we heard this morning. Pastor Bruzek said this, The Word of God also teaches that we are all conceived and born sinful and are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. And in that statement, we see, we see how, we, we learn a couple of things about, uh, about our life as humans, and then also as, as baptized Christians. So the first thing to note is that, is that being human, living in this world, necessarily means 
that we're in a kingdom of one sort or another. We're under somebody's power, right? The two options are either Satan's power or God's power. We're under Satan's reign or God's reign. And we hear pray, or we we hear that, uh, that we're all born and conceived under Satan's power. And this is why, precisely why we need rescue from sin and the devil. But then we hear um, in Colossians, let me just read for you, this is a great, a great passage for understanding what Jesus does in baptism. Colossians 1, 13 to 14, Paul writes this, he says, He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so all this kingdom talk that we, that, uh, we see here in the baptismal liturgy, this is not, it's not simply some sort of metaphor for the way things work. This is actually, this is how it is. As a human, you are a member of a kingdom. When it's the kingdom of, of Satan, when you're under his power, it's slavery, right? It's uh, subservience. You, uh, you're under the yoke of sin. Um, and when you're in the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, you're freed you're a free man, you're a son, you're an heir, right? But in either case, we're in a kingdom. And so the question then is, um, to whose kingdom do we belong and how, do, how does that happen? Um, and that's exactly what we're praying for here in this prayer. So uh, now, let's see, I don't have my small catechism in front of me. Luther's explanation to the second petition, thy kingdom come, what does this mean? Is this a bad idea to ask about this too? I can't, I don't know if I can remember it either. Um, we pray in this petition that the kingdom of God no, the kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer but we pray in this petition that it would come among us also how does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as the children of God is that right? Mary, you're looking at it right there would, would you read it for us please? and save me from <laughs> okay God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Okay, so He gives us His Spirit and the prayer is that we would lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity, all right? So that's what it means, according to Luther, for, uh, for God's kingdom to come. He gives us His Spirit and consequently we lead Spirit-filled lives, godly lives, here in time and there in eternity. Um, just another note here, we have lots to talk about, but I'm, by way of introduction, um, the, the second square subpoint there is another thing we heard in the baptismal liturgy this morning, a quotation from Luke 18. And I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as we continue. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus says when the disciples try to stop the children from coming to him, let the, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So here we, we get a glimpse, uh, and we'll see this a lot more um, as we go along, we get a glimpse of what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom of God. It's not what you expect. Uh, the, the citizens of the kingdom of God are not, the you know, for, first and foremost, the mighty and the wise um, and the proud, but they're the humble and the lowly and the childlike. Okay, so hang on to that. And then this last point about the renunciation of the devil. This is, again, just, just to illustrate the fact that, uh, that we're, you're always under somebody's power. You're always under somebody's reign, in somebody's realm. 
And so that's why in baptism, it's like swearing an oath of loyalty, right? It's like becoming a citizen of a new country. You're saying, no, I renounce my former citizenship, my former kingdom, my former king, right? And I'm taking on a new king. I'm becoming a part of a new kingdom. Okay. So now, uh, an exercise. Um, that second main point there, what is it? Um, what makes a kingdom? Um, and what I want to do is just write down some of, the, some of the things that belong to a kingdom. What makes a kingdom a kingdom? What do you need to have in order to have a kingdom? A king. A king. Great job. <laughs> All right. What else? Okay, okay, good. We got boundaries. Okay. Well, when I'm done writing, we'll flip the page over and then you'll have... Okay. Boundaries, subjects. Nope, no better. What else? Taxes. Taxes. Let's see. Um, we can do this. Let's do, let's, okay, so think about taxes. More generally, what, do tax, what are taxes an instance of? Tribute. Okay, so now, okay, now we're good. We, oh, this is great. Payment. Um, taxes are, when you, when you pay your taxes, it's a sign of your loyalty. Okay, good. So subjects. This is great. Loyalty. So that's why you pay taxes, maybe. I don't know. Maybe because you don't want to go to jail, but that's fine, too. <laughs> If you don't want to go to jail and you pay taxes because you don't want to go to jail, what are you submitting to? Authority. authority. Excellent. So the king has authority. Okay, so we've got a king who has authority, boundaries, and I, I think um, I want to say territory, um, something delineated, a space within which that rule, that realm is, is valid. Loyalty king, boundaries... You need an army? Okay. Yep, we got subjects. And in some sense, the subjects... Uh, we'll say that the subjects represent the army in some case. Because uh, in, the, in, the case of, uh, in the case of... Unless you have mercenaries, the subjects are the ones who are defending the kingdom. Right? Okay. Let's see. What else? Um, anything else you can think of before you turn... Some kind of laws Good. Yeah. And let's put that... Um, Let's sort of tie these together. We've got rule, um, which could be manifest in laws, or just in, in more generally in terms of authority, right? Good. Okay. All right. Good. So the subjects need a place to live, which, which corresponds to the territory. Who else needs a, a, a place? The king, right? He needs a, needs a throne. Uh, he needs some, some symbol of his authority, some... Uh, yeah, a palace, a throne. Um, good. Okay. Now you can turn your page over. All right. So now this drawing doesn't... I, I forgot which order I put things on the page. So this does not correspond to what you see on the page precisely. But let's take a look at these things. So we know all of these things um, belong to a kingdom. You need all of these things in order to have a kingdom. And we have sort of by default, if you... If you have read any King Arthur or you have, you know, watched any Disney movies, you have a sense in your mind of what, like, you know, what a kingdom looks like. Or if you know, know Old Testament history, um, 
you know, you know what the kingdom of, in, the, in its prime, under King David, what things looked like, right? Um, I want to, I just want to show you a quick picture of, of uh, what that looks like. In Psalm, in Psalm 110, we'll get back, we'll come back to this psalm in just a minute, but um, this is how, this is how David describes the, what, what the kingdom looks like when, when the Lord is reigning. Um, he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is what the Lord says. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, the scepter of the king. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And then hear this about the citizens. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. So in, in, in a, in a uh, kingdom that is at its peak, the king is ruling as, as in his youth, right? He's exercising, wielding his authority with full vigor. It's like, it's like we, heard about, uh, we hear about Moses, Moses, a prophet like whom there was no other. Um, at, at his death, his eyes were still bright, all right? So this is, this is the picture of a kingdom at its peak. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by, his, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So it, it, the, the, king, the picture of the king uh, drinking from the brook by the way, a king who is in fear of his enemies, um, you know, who, who doesn't know whether somebody's going to come behind him and stab him in the back, can't stoop down to drink from the brook. And when he, when he lifts up his head, he has to be in fear. But no, in this, in this kingdom, uh, he will drink from the brook by the way. So that's a picture of, uh, you know, to, to, to me at least, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I've watched too many Disney movies, but that's the, uh, that's the picture of sort of a, a kingdom at its peak with a king who's reigning in the fullness of his power. Let's take a look. Um, if you have a Bible handy, are there Bibles around I'll just read it to you. It, it, this is kind of nice just to listen to from 2 Samuel. Now, um, the reason why I want to read this is because this is about David, David in particular, um, at the, at the, near the end of his reign. He wants to build a temple for God. David is the king, and he wants to build a temple to honor God. And God has this interesting conversation with David through the prophet Nathan. Um, w- there's a lot of things to say about it, but listen, just... Uh, what, what I want you to listen for is um, how God thinks of his kingship, all right? How God thinks of his kingship and what he thinks about the people whom he chooses to, to serve his people, all right? The individuals he chooses to serve his, his people. Second Samuel 7, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So you've got this picture. David wants to build a temple for the Lord, who is the king, right? The Lord Yahweh, he is the king of his people Israel. David wants to build a temple to honor Yahweh. And what what does God say to David? No. Now why? Any, based on what you heard, what is God going to do instead of being honored in this way? Yeah, His, uh, David's offspring, right? Uh, what did God say about David's offspring and the kingdom, about the character of this kingdom? I'm asking you to now think, guess what I'm thinking. So, I... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to, your grade won't go down for the, not getting these questions. Jan, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, he says, the throne of your son, of your offspring, will endure forever, right? So, which is a remarkable thing to say because it's the, it's the Lord, Yahweh, who's the king of heaven, who will endure forever. And yet he says about David's son that his kingdom will endure forever, right? A human, the offspring of David, I mean, no kingdom No kingdom in this world lasts forever. You don't have to look very far into history to find out that, uh, you know, kingdoms fail and attempts at lasting, you know, uh, building an eternal kingdom always always, uh, lead to corruption. And yet, God promises that David's son, David's offspring, will be an eternal king. So, when, when we're talking about the king, um, we know, of course, we know, of course, that Yahweh is the king of his people. It's Yahweh who rules in the kingdom of God. But what's remarkable about the kingdom of God is that he rules by means of his human son, right? His human and divine son, but a human son nonetheless, right? Moreover, an offspring of King David, okay? So that's, that's one of the first things to note about the kingdom of God, is that it doesn't work, the kingdom of God doesn't work like you'd expect it to. So if you think about, um, you know, a powerful executive who wants things to run properly, all the important decisions, all of the, the, the moves that involve power are going to be coming from his, directly from him. And here God says, no, I'm going to take your offspring, 
a son of you, David, and he's going to, uh, he's going to be the one who rules. It's going to be him that it's going to be he that shatters enemies and, and shatters kings on the day of judgment. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. Well, I think that's why it's important <coughs> that you accept both the divine and the human nature of Christ, because if you don't, that makes no sense. What you just said. Absolutely, that's right, and that's why. Um, that's why the question of whether or not Jesus is fully human and fully divine, that question was the, the most important question of the first four centuries of the, of the church. One, you know, zero to 400 AD, that was, one, that was the most important question. That question along with what's the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the question, is Jesus truly God and truly man? That had to be settled right away because otherwise you get everything else wrong. Otherwise, you misunderstand how the kingdom of God works. If Jesus, if God doesn't rule in his kingdom and save his people by means of a human, by, his, by means of his human son, the son of man, then the whole story is, is turned upside down. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions or comments at this point? Any other thoughts about... Yes, Krista. Um, that, um, but um, in... in um in the baptism, it doesn't, it doesn't um, say that Jesus baptized babies. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Good. And so, and this is really interesting because, so in, in, in baptism, in, in, uh, in most of what we hear about in the Bible about baptism, we don't, and this is, this is, Think about this in terms of citizenship in the kingdom. We don't hear um, that children should be baptized. Okay, uh, it's not explicit anywhere. But think about uh, what we what we know now about just based on what we know about the king of God's kingdom, you know, and how he rules through a, a man, the son of man. Um, we need to pay attention to the way that uh, Jesus refers to membership in his kingdom. So when he says things like uh, let the little children come unto me because of such is the kingdom of God. He's telling us exactly what we need to know about uh, what happens in baptism. You become a citizen of God's kingdom in baptism, and that is precisely for children. That's, that's, those are the ones uh, after whom we should model our own faith, right? Okay, so, yeah, good, good point. Um, and and it, that, uh, you know, any, everything you think about baptism can be framed in terms of, in terms of kingdom and uh, citizenship in God's kingdom. And I think it's really, it's a helpful way to, to, to look at what's going on in baptism. Let's move on to the next thing here. Um, I, so under, the, under that square with the king in it, I got 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 110. I read both of those to you. I want to hold off on Matthew 3 and Mark 1, but I want just quickly to comment on Matthew 2. In Matthew 2, we hear about Jesus' birth um, and in particular, I want to think about what we hear about Herod's reaction to Jesus' birth. So remember how this goes, the Magi come from the east, and they say to Herod, we saw the star and we know that the king of the Jews will be born. Where is he? Where, where is he? Herod says, oh look, he's, I, think, I think he's going to be in Bethlehem. Go, go check him out, tell me where he is when you find him. But then what does Herod do when he finds out the Magi went home by a different way? He slaughters them, right? Which, when you think about it, um, is a really remarkable thing for a king to do at the birth of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem uh, who has no 
you know, no special lineage. He's not the son of some sort of, you know, uh, disenfranchised king, right? He's not. Um, he's the son of somebody who's, who's the big, he's the son of a couple who's the beginning of whose marriage is, in, is enveloped in a scandal even, right? It's not, it's not some sort of, uh, it, it's not obvious that he should be concerned about the baby Jesus, but um, the kingship of Jesus is so, is so potent and the kingship of the baby Jesus is so startling to Herod that he takes this dramatic action, all right? Um, just keep that in mind as well. When you, when you think about the character of, of the king um, and how God reigns in the kingdom of God, it's in such a way that even a tiny baby um, is, is threatening to a, the most powerful man in the land, right? Okay. Uh, the next thing, on, uh, if you follow the arrow to the right, we've got a throne, right? So normally the king sits on a throne, and that's the, the seat of his power. Um, we heard in Psalm 110, send forth your scepter from Zion, Zion, your holy hill, Zion, the hill on which Jerusalem sits, the, the hill on which the temple stands and the king's, the king's palace. Um, but where does, and this is, this is a, uh, not a trick question, where does Jesus reign from? What's the seat of his power? Right hand of the Father, which, uh, which would, uh, let's see, how can I ask this question? Where's the right hand of the Father? What, uh, what does the right hand of the Father represent? Power, okay? And his divinity, his divine authority. Um, and what is one of, okay. Man, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta not ask leading questions and ask you to guess. Okay. The right hand of the, of the Father is his divine authority, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence, right? So the fact that God is everywhere and that his power is everywhere means that when Jesus reigns from the right hand of the Father, his reign is everywhere, wherever he chooses to reign, right? Wherever he chooses to exercise his, his authority. It's not from a particular geographical location. And this is, this is you know, it's, it's obvious stuff, I know, but, uh, but, think, but think about how important that is. It's not that you need to go to Jesus in Jerusalem in order to, uh, you know, appeal to the king, right? It's everywhere. And this is one of, the, uh, one of the, conver- the conversation that Jesus has with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. What does she say? Uh, she says, our fathers have worshipped on this hill, but your fathers have worshipped on that hill. And Jesus says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is see- seeking such people to worship him. So the... The, the, the place where the king, and in this case, the king is God-deserving worship, um, is not in, not in one location, not on this mountain or on that mountaintop, not in Jerusalem, but, uh, but, but uh, you know, wherever worship is done in spirit and in truth. Okay? Good. Let's take a look at the next thing. Reign and rule. And this, I, you see that I wrote under there, big, this is the big question. How does Jesus rule? How does, what does rule look like in the kingdom of God? What kind of power does he exercise? And here I want to look especially at uh, the parables of the kingdom. So we can maybe brainstorm just a minute here. We, we hear all of these parables about where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this, right? Uh, any, any of those come to mind real quick? What are some of the parables of the kingdom? Mustard seed. Okay, great. That's a great one to start with. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. What does that tell us about 
uh, about the kingdom of God. It flourished and uh, in spite of all appearances, right? So it was, it was small, diminutive. It, it, you know, somebody who's expecting great things from a mustard seed, um, you know, you, you might consider foolish just, just at, at first glance, right? So it's this small thing which, which you know, maybe, maybe you expect a little plant out of it, but a huge, a huge tree is what, what Jesus says comes forth, right? Okay, so it's small. That's, and that's the character of Jesus' rule in the kingdom of God, okay? It's not by transplanting a giant tree. Here, here you go. Here's the kingdom of God. No. It's by planting a small, insignificant, diminutive, tiny little seed, okay? What else? What other parables do we have? The weeds, good. And we heard the parable of the sower this morning. These two kind of go together. So the sower casts seed. And, what, um, and, then, and then the parable of the weeds, the, the seed is cast, the seed is growing, the weed is growing, and then the weeds grow up among it. And the servants want to come along and try and pick out the weeds. The master says, if you do that, you're going to pull up the wheat too. Let's let it grow. We'll take care of it at harvest time. Okay, so what is that? Now, this is a great one. And I'm preaching on it next week, so come back <laughs> next Sunday. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God and Jesus' rule? It's okay. Good. Right. So if, uh, if I was ruling God's kingdom, I would take care of all of those sinners right now. Right? <laughs> if, if any of us were. Yeah, Kirby. Well, the right word that it's resistible. Yes. Very good. That's right. He doesn't, he doesn't just come along and zap all those weeds and turn them into wheat, right? And he doesn't come along and pull out all the weeds so that his wheat grows unharmed, right? He wants his, for, for one reason or another, he wants to let the wheat grow among the weeds. Um, good, good. Um, and if, yeah, Donna. Exactly. It's, it, by normal means, by appearances, you can't tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. Otherwise, the servants wouldn't have a problem going and plucking the weeds, right? But as they're, as they're young plants, you, you, you can't tell the difference by looking at them. You have to wait till they're mature, right? Um, which is, so there's, there, it's a remarkable thing when you, when you consider, um, when you look around the world, when you look around at the people around you, and, and uh, just like we heard in Pastor Nelson's sermon this morning, uh, Jesus casting his seed is taking risks uh, that we wouldn't, on our own sanction, we wouldn't say, you know, that person's a good candidate for citizenship in the kingdom of God, right? We, we make those kind of judgments all the time, even though we, even though we know better, right? Um, the point is, the kingdom of God is, is hidden. It's not, uh, it's not obvious. It's not evidently visible. Now, it shows up here and there in, when, when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, but in hearts... In the manifestation of faith, you don't always see it, right? Good. What else do we have? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the parable of the weeds, God exercises an incredible amount of patience. His servants think he's crazy because um, he's not plucking the weeds, and he says, nope, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait this one out, um, and it'll, we'll sort it out on the day of judgment. Any other parables? Okay, and that's another great one. We see this all over the place of the, the, hidden, the hidden character of God's kingdom, right? So it's in a field where nobody would expect to find a treasure. 
it's also um, a, it's also a treasure that so depending on how you interpret the parable, God is willing to sell everything that He has to for the sake of this treasure, for the sake of His kingdom. The Good Samaritan, okay, yeah, and that's another great one about distinguishing between uh, how how we can't discern who the neighbor is, who our neighbor is, right? Exactly. Good. Okay. Let's move on just a little bit here. Time flies. Um, Authority. Um, We're not going to get to the end of this. So (laughs) you can take it home and look up the rest of the passages when you get there. Um, I want to read for you a couple of passages out of Matthew. There's all kinds of great kingdom language in Matthew, and this is where we sort of really flesh things out. But Matthew 16, verses 13 and following this is Peter's, Peter's great confession. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so we already know that the the king um, is divine and human, right? The king takes on human form. But he exercises his authority not just in the weakness of that human form, in the weakness of the Son of God, but also and especially by the weakness of sinful mortal humans, right? So he gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter, who, uh, I mean, we all know how Peter didn't get it until after the resurrection. You know, he he didn't know what those keys were good for until after the resurrection. He didn't know what the kingdom was all about, what that authority was for. And this is one of the, one of the ways that, uh, you know, the, king, the kingdom of God is really upside down, backwards from the way that we expect any other kingdom to work. So any self-respecting king is not going to give the authority of his kingdom to somebody who doesn't have a clue what's going on, right? Or somebody who uh, denies him or rejects him, you know? Or somebody who... Uh, is too zealous like Peter is, right? Nonetheless, that's the way that God gives his authority to the church, to humans. And it's, it, again, it relates to what Pastor Nelson preached about this morning. It's because he has complete confidence in the tools of his kingdom, right? His word, which is that seed which will grow, um, and in the forgiveness of sins, which saves people, right? He has complete confidence that where his people use these gifts, um, they will accomplish his means. They will accomplish what he, what he sets out to accomplish. Let's look at this next passage real quick here. Matthew 9, verses 1 and following. And this is Jesus healing, um, healing a paralytic. And it's, this is interesting because it, it's, a, it's a lesson about Jesus' authority. So we know that Jesus is powerful to heal people. But the question is, is that really, I mean, and he wants to. He cares about people. He has compassion on people. When he sees the people hungry and sick, his heart is moved for them, and he heals them and saves them. But what does he ultimately want to give them? Listen to what what, what goes on here. 
Behold, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Okay, so there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, is that a man has the authority to heal diseases. But then that the, the diseases are just sort of a, in many ways, just a reflection of what Jesus does in forgiving sins. So which is easier to do? Well, it's, it's, it's relatively easy to, uh, to say your sins are forgiven because, I mean, who's going who's gonna to know whether or not it actually happened? It's difficult to say, uh, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Because if it doesn't happen, well then, <laughs> you're proven to be a liar, right? So he demonstrates his authority, and then his words about forgiving sins have this weight. They have this authority. But what's remarkable is that that's ultimately what he wants to give this man. The man is lying there sick. He wants to forgive his sins. Now to us, who, you know, we've been taught the weight of sin and the, the, our need for forgiveness, but to the world, forgiveness is a relatively inconsequential thing. It's not something highly valued. But that is precisely the greatest gift that Jesus wants to give us, and that's how he most fully exercises authority. Okay? Here again, you see the upside-down nature of the kingdom, the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. So his forgiveness, his forgiveness is the, 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 the ultimate exercise of his authority. And in Jesus' weakness on the cross where he's forgiving sins, that weakness is the ultimate show of his power. That's where he's most truly glorified, okay? So if there's one thing I want you to take away from this, um, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you pray, Thy kingdom come, think about what you're asking for. You're not asking for, like the disciples and the Pharisees thought, you know, Jesus coming in with an army and blasting all of his enemies. You're praying that the forgiveness of sins would come to all people, to, to you and to all people, that the Holy Spirit would come to even those people you consider you know, unworthy of the kingdom, those people who you don't want to be citizens with, right? That's, I mean, to me, that's always the, one of the, the, the great challenges of confessing what we confess about, uh, uh, about the universality of God's forgiveness, right? Because it's easy enough to want God's forgiveness for people we don't know or people we like, you know, people we don't know, but our enemies, right? God wants to, God wants to forgive them as well, and God, and, and God, and this is the great thing about the Lord's Prayer is Jesus sort of forces us to pray for that. He puts those words in our mouth. So when we when we say Thy kingdom come, this is what we're asking for. Okay. Any questions at this point? With four minutes left, I want to look <laughs> just at okay. Look over at citizens, and then this is uh, again this is kind of rehashing what we've already said, but these are some important passages for you to think about. Um, when you consider what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. So Galatians 3, and this one you probably know pretty well. Let me pull it up here. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Um, so there it is. You know, the, there's no distinction. God is, God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are. His forgiveness is for you. Matthew chapter 5, we have the, uh, the Beatitudes. Chapter 5, verse 3. And this is, uh, again, this really drives home the point. Um, that's Mark. Matthew chapter 5. And this is, this is really one of the great scandals, the great paradoxes of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? It's the meek and the humble and the lowly, the poor in spirit. Moreover, this is, and this is the final, really the final straw in who belongs to God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16, 13 through 16. We already heard this uh, in the baptismal liturgy. When they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, the disciples rebuked them. And he says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So the image that comes to mind in you know, all of these passages, he's picking everybody. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, male, female, rich, poor, children, the elderly, everybody. The emphasis being on meekness and humility and lowliness. It's like he's picking the last people for the team that you'd want to pick, right? He's not picking the stars. He's got the lineup of all the kids on the playground, and he's picking the kids you wouldn't want to pick, right? The kingdom of God is upside down and backwards like this because it's precisely those people that, that Jesus wants. If you think that you don't need him, if you think that you're going to be the star of the team, then the team is not for you, right? If you think that you're going to come into the kingdom and uh, ascend the ranks and change your stars and become the king... That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is about God giving forgiveness to the people who need it, right? And that's, and that's really, that answers the question about where the kingdom of God is. Um, it's where Jesus reigns from the right hand of the Father, but it's where he chooses to reign, where he chooses to exercise his authority, and that exercise of authority is where he is forgiving sins. It's where he's delivering his gifts. It's, you know, here on a Sunday morning, it's when you... Uh, when you share Jesus' love with your, with your friends and your family and your neighbors, right? That's where the kingdom of God is. Um, it is, I read this quotation, which I thought is a, is, is a great way to summarize it. The kingdom, of, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, is not a place, but it's a divine action, right? So you don't go to the kingdom of God, but you see the kingdom of God when, when God is acting, when God is forgiving sins. So the whole point here. There's two points. One is, when you think about the kingdom of God, think about what you're asking for in the Lord's Prayer. Everything's backwards. I guess it's one point. Okay, so everything's backwards and upside down in the kingdom of God, right? He works by means that we don't expect, and the goal is maybe not what we'd want, but it's exactly what he wants to give us. Any questions, comments? People's Resource Center. Vicar Uladon will be back next week for his last Sunday, so be sure to show up for Bible study then. If there are no questions, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.